Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Token TV Talk, the podcast where three hype topics keep you informed on everything you need to know about the upcoming Lord of the Rings Amazon series. I'm Tim, and with me today is my friend Bo. Say hello, Bo. And I'm Bo. Excellent. And say hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Excellent. I'm glad you guys can follow directions. Welcome back to Tolkien TV Talk to the both of you. How are you? Andrew, how are you? Well, you ask, you can answer first this time. Sounds good. I'm doing great. It's uh, It's been a good time. That's excellent. I'm so glad to hear it. And Bo, how have you been? Man, I am stoked. I, I'm so excited, man. We're, we're coming up here. We're right in the middle of the holiday season, which is exciting. And not only that, but we are actually back one month after we just released an episode. I mean, like, guys, we're killing it. We're doing awesome. Well, well done, Fellowship. It's like yes. we know how to podcast, but it's almost like we do other ones. Like, yeah, we, <laughs> we've, we finally got a hold of how to transfer that skill onto another podcast. What? Acting like professionals? Us? How? That, that uh, uh, Amazing is what it is. It is completely amazing. We are wrapping up 2018, which was certainly a year that happened was, in yes. the lives of all of us. And so, but. You know, things that happened in the lives of other people. Let's talk about it because this day on Middle Earth or in Middle Earth, however you want to say it, December 6th, not 2018, the hobbits rest in Rivendell, you know, on their little journey. They're like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. Frodo, are you going to be alive or not? I don't know. And then Gandalf's like, it's October the 24th if you want to know. But guess what? We're still resting all the way into December. Crazy. That's right. Still you know, them, resting. Them, them hobbits, man, they love to rest. Man, don't they though? That's why it takes. That's why the book's so big because they're just like, ah, uh, we're in danger. All right, let's leave the Shire in four months. You know, like <laughs> crazy. Let's spend like two and a half months in Rivendell, just chilling. Crazy. Anyway, so I, you know, it takes a long time to travel. So I, I give them the the need to rest. I'll give them uh, that. They are walking. It's true. Their legs are super jacked all the time. <laughs> Next thing that happened on December 6th, uh, the Shire is completely reborn again. So, you know, after Saruman is like, blah, I'm going to take over the Shire because reasons. Um, I'm going to be like, a gangster for a little while. <laughs> exa- exactly. And then and then uh, Worm and then Worm Tongue is like, oh, no, you're not. Stab, stab, stab. Um, and then, so it is up <laughs> and to Bilbo's Mi- like, that was my front step, except he's not there anymore. But point <laughs> is, if he was there, he'd be complaining about the blood getting everywhere on his front steps. Exactly. Have you seen my <laughs> silverware? No, no. All right. <laughs> Lobelia. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it is up to Merry and Pippin to kind of kick out that last ruffian out of the, out of the Shire. And that is what happens on December 6th. So the Shire is new and a couple of years earlier, they're given a good old rest in Rivendell. So good on them. Good on them. So, Bo, the Council of Elrond has begun, which means you have yourself a series pitch. Let's take it away from you. All right. So I'm really excited about this. Uh, as listeners may recall... Uh, when we were when we started this podcast, you know, we were thinking about like we don't even know what the series is going to be. So what if we, as the three of us, 
took turns giving pitches of what the series could be. And on top of that, we thought, let's take it a step further, and each of us will take a very uh, a specific era of Lord of the Rings and pitch a show taking place within that era. So Andrew uh, uh, masterfully put together a pitch for the the early uh, ages of uh, of of the. Uh, Lord of the Rings, the Tolkien universe, Middle Earth, if you will. Uh, Andrew, uh, I mean, uh, Tim, rather, as we just heard last episode, gave a Oscar-worthy, or I guess uh, perhaps um, uh, Emmy-worthy pitch for a Lord of the Rings present series, something that takes place during the time period of the Lord of the Rings. And I was tasked with the ideas of the future. That's right. My pitch takes place in the future taking place after lord of the rings all right really excited about this i am super uh, pumped for this i've been looking for this mm-hmm. one i've actually been looking forward to the most because it's like the wide open territory like i just don't know what's okay. going to happen so i remember when we talked about this because you guys were like ah the future's kind of difficult i don't know about the future and i was kind of like i don't know guys i think the future could be a lot of fun uh, because it does open up the possibilities so much more, and you have a little bit more leeway with the, uh, you know, <laughs> with, with with the lore, the world around you, what characters are going to be there, all that kind of good stuff. All right, so my series takes place in the very early Fourth Age. Now, at this point in time, there's some things you need to know about the world in which our characters are going to live in. Uh, this is a time when it is the age of man. Uh, so humans have been very much the, um, you know, they, they've been kind of in power. The elves, for the most part, have left Middle-earth. And along with them, and with the destruction of the ring, so has pretty much magic. Magic has pretty much kind of uh, left the world of men. So much so that newer generations of men uh, and, and, and people living in Middle-earth uh, they, they don't even really fully believe the concept of magic. Yes, they, they've heard about the War of the Ring, but, you know, there's nothing that convinces them. There's this all-powerful force that binds them and connects <laughs> them, you know. A good uh, a good. What a boat. bunch of Han Solos, am I right? <laughs> Recipe for disaster. No one would want to watch that. <laughs> a good, good crossbow at the side is all, you know, is the only thing they need. But uh, anyway, but, but the thing is, this actually is pretty still early on within the age. Um, so, okay, there's that. World of Men. Oh, another thing about this world, too, is that because we are living in the Age of Men uh, and that, you know, Gondor has is under the rule of Aragorn, and, and this is kind of an older, much older Aragorn, uh, and during his reign, he's kind of expanded the worlds of man. There's been a lot of trading of uh, peoples from across Middle Earth. You know, you got you got the Rohinians riding their horses and chilling out in their trees in Gondor. You got trees growing in Rohan now. There's art that is, uh, uh, you know, being shared now. Not horses everywhere in Rohan, but that was last episode's joke. So I won't I won't go back into that. <laughs> Uh, but also the the map has expanded as well. So there are other worlds of men outside of what was known Middle Earth during the Third Age. Uh, and so that you do actually have kind of these these kingdoms. Now, we're not going to explore the worlds outside of the map. But suffice to say, there's there's more diversity, if you will, uh, within the worlds of man and Middle Earth. All right. So there you go. That's kind of the 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 backdrop for where we take place. Uh, we I want this to be very much a character driven story. And I also don't want it to be too terribly bloated. So I'm kind of pitching a three-season series here. Uh, it is going to be, we've got an ensemble cast, and um, let's meet them, shall we? So we, we kind of start off the the uh, first episode with a uh, character who I'm just going to call Dana. Dana is a dwarven woman. 
she is uh, as a dwarven woman. She is she's short. She's she's kind of stocky, but she is very feminine. She she doesn't have a beard, uh, much to what you may uh, perceive a dwarven woman to have. She does have a very feminine side to her, but she's also a blacksmith, so she can handle herself. She's got you know kind of the the broad arms for it and that sort of thing. She is meeting up in a bar outside of Bree with a uh, apparent human woman. Uh, who sits down and these two ladies talk. Now, in the midst of their conversation, we find that Dana is hiring this woman as uh, somebody who is a maybe not exactly with the best reputation. She's something of an assassin. She's something of a pirate. In fact, she's actually wearing a bandana-looking uh, kind of long bandana in a, in a pirate sense that's covering her hair and her ears because this is not actually a human woman. This is, in fact, an elf, an elf left behind in exile, uh, who has been making her way along in the world by doing a bunch of nefarious things. Um, now, she, Dana wants this elf to take her to a place that has been quarantined off from the rest of the world. And that, of course, is Mordor, what is left in the, the ruins of Mordor. Um, mm-hmm. She is after a chest. And this elven woman's like, hey, you know, so is the goal you, you bring me on and we split the contents of the chest 50-50? She's like, no, if we, you help me get this, the chest is mine, but I will pay you in mithril. In fact, I'll even forge it into any kind of weaponry that you want or any kind of uh, rather uh, gauntlet or, or, you know, whatever you may, may want with it. Or if you just want to take the mithril and sell it, that's on you as well. You get the mithril, I get the chest, we never see each other again. So they agree to this, but the uh, elven woman's like, if we're going to do this, we need a map and just so happens, I know where we can find one. So they leave the, uh, the, the bar and Bree. And as they're leaving, we see in the woods these two eyes and this kind of monstrous growl that's happening. These kind of glowing eyes and this monstrous growl. So clearly there's some sort of beast that is uh, watching these two ladies. Now they go to, of course, the Shire. And in the Shire, we're introduced to a young boy named Took. Now, I don't actually have a good name for this character yet, but I just know that he is a uh, Took descendant. And he is courting a young gardener girl who resides in Bag End. Uh, a gardener girl, you say? Somebody else who loves gardening, perhaps? Who is a <laughs> hobbit? Perhaps well, as, a daughter of somebody, you say? What? As you may recall, uh, for those that are aware, uh, Sam's uh, descendants renamed their family name to Gardener in in a uh, acknowledgement of his role in, in serving the baggage. So, yes, this would actually be Sam's, I want to say, granddaughter, if I did my math right. And uh, anyway, so she's living in Bag End, and this Took boy is trying to court her. Now, something you need to know about this Took boy, he is, he's like the anti-Bilbo. He, he's very much adventurous. He's very much mischievous. But he's not like his ancestor in the sense that he's not a fool. He's very much smart and cunning uh, and kind of different from you know, the hobbits that we've seen before. When he comes across uh, the, the elf and this elf and this dwarf who's trying to sneak into Bag End and steal this map, he determines he's going to go along with them. And in fact, he's something of an artist himself and draws pictures, sketches, and would be really good to have along as they're plotting new maps to get to where they need to be. All right, so you've got these three, uh, these three groups. They've, they've kind of come together. They've got this map that they've been able to steal through some shenanigans. They're on the road. And again, you know, we may see these... Uh, monstrous eyes kind of watching them as they're kind of going through now on the road uh, on, on, you know, as they just start leaving Bree and they just start leaving uh, kind of the, the hobbity area of the Shire, uh, they are approached by three knights of Gondor and these three knights of Gondor have been hunting down the elf. Now, again, this, she is not a, she's not a morally righteous person. She is very much a, uh, 
you know, a, an outlaw and somebody who is wanted by the law. And so they are here to take her end and immediately start drawing swords to attack. Well, in well, the midst of this. What good is that going to do? Why don't, you, they, why don't they take out their real swords and just draw pictures of them? That's silly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Continue. Yeah. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> so they're drawing swords. Immediately, uh, the elven woman kills one of them. She throws a dagger at him. He's dead. So we are. This is a. This is a violent show. We are going to see uh, some some death and destruction from that standpoint. Uh, then we also see another knight who is charging them. Dana is trying to get control of the situation because obviously she needs this woman to help her get into Mordor, but she also doesn't want to publicize the fact that she's going into Mordor because that's illegal. And while She's relying upon people who are willing to do illegal things. Dana herself is not necessarily, you know, she's not a criminal. She's not trying to be part of the criminal element. She just needs to get something done. And so she's trying to get, uh, you know, control the situation. Another knight goes towards Dana, and right before he's able to attack her, out of the woods comes this monstrous large bear, growling and smashing the knight up against a tree, killing him. And the knight, the bear then gets in front of Dana and between Dana and the uh, this the last remaining knight, and as he's getting ready to charge and fight, Dana stops everything and explains that the bear is not actually a bear, but is in fact her friend. And the bear kind of stops and does what Dana says, and everybody's kind of like, what's going on here? And she explains that this bear was actually a man that was trapped as magic left the world in the form of a bear and has not been able to get back into uh, his human form. And so she is on a quest, essentially, to rescue her friend, this bear, to restore this bear to, to human form. And that's why she needs to get what she needs to get. Now, that she still plays things close to the chest. She's not sharing with this knight that she needs to get to Mor uh, 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 Mordor, but she does tell them that they are going by G uh, um, Gondor. And so from that standpoint, if he will travel with them, uh, you know, basically you need to know about this knight. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, he, he's very much kind of that lawful good kind of character right like he is very much kind of like, almost like a paladin-esque person well, and while nice dungeons and dragons terms you threw in there that was i mean nice. you got you got to mix it up a little bit right you got to mm -hmm. you got to pull oh, in all yes. this stuff together absolutely so from, so from that standpoint you know he is kind of this this almost um you know righteous warrior and that sort of thing and while he has every intention of turning in this elf lady he also hears the plight of this bear and and dana and he decides he's going to help them, especially since their paths kind of go along the same path. Although he has every intention while he, when he gets to Gondor to essentially arrest the elf and uh, and go from there. But one way or the other, he can't do anything as long as this bear is keeping him from being able to uh, to get his quarry. So they uh, they then decide that this is going to be our group. We've got this hobbit, dwarf, human, elf, and uh, and bear that is going to be traveling from Breland all the way to Moria. I'm sorry, to Mordor, rather, so that they can uh, get this chest. And at the very end, this is our pilot episode, the very end of the pilot episode, they're all bed down, except for Dana, who's sitting in front of a fireplace. She reaches into her pocket, and she pulls out a parchment of paper. And on it are sketched three rings, uh, all of which, one more prominent than the other two, and all of which having kind of an onyx stone on them. And as she's looking at this ri these rings, that is the conclusion of the first episode of what will be the last of the rings. That's that's my that's my pilot pitch for this series. Now I've got more to, to share about all this, but any any thoughts on that? Any questions about any of that? Okay, so you've introduced a lot of new characters, but some that we might feel somewhat familiar with. So I'm not like lame. Where are the people that I like? So that's good. You know, I've instantly connected myself to a took. You know, a you know, um, 
uh, Sam White, you know, uh, Sam's granddaughter, you know, things things along those lines. I like the the elf twist because we haven't really seen elves be outlaws in Lord of the Rings. Right. So this is a this is a new it's like a new flavor. That's... I do have a question though yeah, about yeah. elves. So all the elves are supposed to have left. Most all the elves. Most all the elves. Okay. Yeah. Um and so she's not really running around with any with anybody. She's a total loner. She's a complete rogue, a complete loner. She's a she's making her way in the world. In many respects, like you know, whereas somebody like at this time period, Legolas is actually still in Middle Earth. He hasn't left for the Undying Lands yet. Um, he's that he's doing so by choice, whereas she is not doing by so by choice. She was uh, in, and this kind of comes in in season two, but she she was judged by her people essentially for an action she took. And because of that, they have left her, but they've completely exiled her from being able to leave Middle Earth. And so she is doomed to live out her days uh, as an immortal as the world around her crumbles. And so she's got a very kind of pessimistic outlook on life. She is in it for herself. And on top of that, she was somewhat, I mean, arguably unjustly, the, the punishment didn't fit the crime, let's say, with why she was exiled to begin with. Okay, I like that. It's a little bit um, Cain. Uh, like Cain and Abel, you know, God judge Cain. You got to walk the earth because you're a terrible person and watch everything crumble around you. But through the kindness of friends and fellowship, we're going to make you learn to love again. It's going to be great. Maybe. Um, yeah, maybe. So I like that, but maybe not, you know, good twists. All right. So that's that's kind of the, the pilot set of things up. And I, I like how you mentioned like, oh, there's a few things I can attach to, but there's a lot of new mm. characters that I don't know how I feel about. And to some extent, I'm almost I've been I kind of pulled from I don't know if you ever watched Beast Wars Transformers. Oh, yeah, I did. Yep. Mm-hmm. OK, so I was a huge fan of that show growing up. And what that show was able to accomplish was early on, it introduced a lot of new concepts and completely new characters that were not. If you were a fan of Transformers beforehand, everything felt weird and different from that standpoint. But over the course of the series, not only did it get more familiar, it got Deep. They pulled like some really deep lore into Beast Wars in a really fantastic way, and the characters were so well done that they became some of the most beloved characters in the franchise. So, from that standpoint, on a strategy level, that's kind of what I'm after here. So, mm-hmm. yes, at the beginning, it is going to feel different, hopefully in a bit of a fresh way, but also give you just enough to hang on to because if you go along for the ride, I think you're going to enjoy it. So, here's the deal. Uh, the, 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 the rings that she is holding, the, 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 uh, sketch of these rings are actually three of the remaining dwarven rings. In fact, if you go back to, you know, three rings for the elven Kings, uh, mm-hmm. seven for the dwarf Lords, nine for mortal men. And then of course the one ring to rule them on all. Well, every single one of those rings, the rings of power are accounted for with the exception of three dwarven rings. And I'm not making this up. This isn't for the show. This is just pulling directly from Mm -hmm. the pre-existing, pre-established lore of Tolkien. And specifically, those rings uh, were offered to, I want to say... Uh, I want to say Dane the Third or Dane the Second. I think uh, it's Second, but I'm not positive about that. Right. So those rings were actually offered to him specifically by Sauron saying, hey, team with me and I will return these rings of power to you uh, and your people if you side with me in the the great war to come. And in a very non-dwarven, you know, historically dwarven thing, uh, he's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm choosing honor over over power, over wealth, over, you know, 
your your promises. They're, they're nothing to me. I, I reject the gift of these three rings. And it's a really powerful thing that happens on the sidelines of, of Lord of the Rings. But anyway, so those three rings then return to Mordor and are kind of lost to time. Nobody really knows what ends up happening with them. You know, some people believe they just kind of, you know, became these random trinkets because, you know, with the ring of power gone, perhaps they they don't even have any power anymore. Uh, Arguably, maybe they didn't even have any power when they were gifted, uh, you know, when the gift was offered. Um, But regardless, nobody knows where they are. However, uh, Dana has been set on the path and we'll learn this during season one. By none other than Tom Bombadil. Uh, she, she, Whoa. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to have <laughs> – so Tom Bombadil is not going to play a very active role at all in the series. However, we're going to find out in her backstory in season one that um, she she learns of this bear. She gets kind of connected with it. And the bear also has this relationship with Tom. And Tom tells Dana that in order for the bear to be restored – uh, you know, a a, some, a magical item would have to be destroyed. And in fact, there are these magical items that exist in Mordor. And he's the one that gives her the, the parchment and that sort of thing. Now, he's not encouraging her to do anything. He's not telling her to do anything. It's, he doesn't have really any skin in the game, if you were. He's just kind of imparting this information. If you know Tom Bombadil, that's kind of how he rolls. He's not a He's not a wizard that is, you know, trying to enact his will through mortals. He's just kind of there and chilling, although he does have an affection for this bear and he wants, you know, he wants good things for this bear and for Dana to some extent. So maybe he does have something kind of, you know, uh, that he hopes to see out of all this regardless. Yeah. This bear. Is there something special about this bear? There is something special about this bear. Is this bear perhaps a a character that we've seen before who is not you know, really a bear. <laughs> well, so this character would be related to that character. Yes. Sweet. All right. Nice. So, <laughs> so what ends up happening, the idea is that if she destroys one of these rings, it will release as Tom explains to her, you know, a little bit of magic, just enough, uh, you know, just, she smashes it and it's going to release the magic in there. And it's, it's just a little bit. She doesn't need to be worried about it. And it'll give enough magic. If, if uh, this bear is nearby for, for him to transform back into his, his human form. And so that's that's her gameplay. But she is be- keeping this very close to the chest. And in fact, it's not until the end of the season where it's it's discovered by the rest of the team what she's wanting to do. Something that the elf, who over time, after kind of establishing this bond with Dana, you know, they, they, they spar back and forth a little bit. I was even thinking in that first uh, uh, episode, uh, the elf might be like, oh, you know, a dwarven woman. I didn't think there were dwarven women. It must be lonely. And she's like, oh, really? I've seen elves before. I didn't think there were any elven men. Must be lonely for you. You know, so like, like they could have kind of this... Uh, uh, <laughs> back and forth that I think would be kind of fun, but they, they, there's almost kind of a kindred spirit uh, in the in the two of them from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, the took the took character is actually the one that I've I've least uh, spent time kind of fleshing out. I, I don't know as much about his backstory aside from the fact that he is uh, he does have kind of this pre existing relationship uh, back back home. The knight I think is also really interesting. He is very much kind of a by the book and you know Gondor knight, you know, and everything. But he's not originally from Gondor. In fact, his people lived outside of the area, outside of Middle Earth. And when Aragorn was kind of giving uh, his kind of regional lords more power and more authority to kind of manage their their space, one of those lords actually took. Uh, uh, knights from Gondor and went out to kind of expand his own kingdom and in the process uh, destroyed like this entire village uh, that, that was kind of unknown and they're like we're, we're planting our flag this is new Gondor and we're gonna you know we're taking this area well by the time Aragorn finds out about it 
Uh, he's like, hey, we don't do that, and you've destroyed these people, and anybody that survives is going to come and live in in the uh, the 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 main city in in Gondor, and you know they'll they'll kind of exist here as refugees, um, with the exception of this young boy who one of the knights kind of adopted, and this is one of the knights who actually destroyed that village, but he never tells this boy that. He just raises him to be a knight of Gondor. And so while this this guy's people is kind of living as somewhat second-class citizens, as refugees in Gondor, he's riven to a place of prominence and has kind of a misunderstanding about what his origins are. He doesn't realize that the man who raised him is actually responsible for destroying his people. And so Ooh. there's, I know, you get into the, kind of some of that stuff in season two. I, I see season one as these characters all blending together, um, especially like, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the, the, the outlaw elf and the, and the righteous knight kind of starting to have a little bit of un, unlikely chemistry all of a sudden, you know, the opposites attract type of deal, uh, and to the point where it's going to be kind of questionable when given the opportunity, whether or not the knight is going to actually turn her in. All right. So, uh, that's all going down. Uh, they, they all bond together in the first season and at the very end of the first season, they're in Mordor. Uh, the elf is like, whoa, wait, you didn't tell me these were rings of power. You can't bust those open. You, you have no idea the implications. Magic hasn't existed in this, in, in this world for, you know, uh, decades, you know, since, since, you know, since the beginning of the age. And she's like, no, it's, it's just a little magic. Tom Bombadil told me. And she's like, yeah, Tom said it was a little bit of magic. Like to him, a little bit of magic is massive. <laughs> like <laughs> you don't know what you're doing, but she decides to, you know what, I'm going to do this anyway. And at this time they're fighting orcs and all this other stuff. And, she does it, and basically the season ends with her smashing, smashing the ring, and at the same time, the, the, the group kind of getting separated from one another. Season two takes place where we kind of see the fallout of this. Dana and smashing the ring, yes, it does uh, restore the bear. We'll talk about that in a second. But it also gives her these visions, and it specifically gives her these visions of uh, Moria and a grave in Moria and kind of this calling that she needs to go to Moria and find this grave. Uh, and it's something that that's like like pulling her forward that she must do. Um, and yes, when she smashes the ring, we do see the bear is transformed and comes back into his state of being a Bjorning. And of course, he is going to be Grim Bjorn, uh, or possibly Grim Bjorn the second. But I think Grim Bjorn, which would be the son of Bjorn uh, from from the Hobbit. Great name, good choice. Yes, mm. yes. Um, so at this time, you know, basically we get kind of a separation. So she kind of decides that she needs to go to Moria. Grim Bjorn's going to come with her as well as the Took. Uh, and while they were in Mordor, some other knights of Gondor uh, going out to try to figure out, hey, what's been going on over here? They find the knights and they find this outlaw and not knowing exactly what to do. They're like, oh, you, you've you returned and you, you got the outlaw. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And so he you know, claps her in irons and they go to, uh, to Gondor. Now, as luck would happen, the ring was smashed and this massive wave of power was felt throughout the entire land on the exact same day that Aragorn himself dies. So when, when the knight and the elf go into the main city to lock her up, uh, this is when Gimli is there. This is when Legolas is there. The knight has, or the, the king has just died. So there's kind of this big moment and there's also kind of this exchange that can happen between Legolas as he's about to leave for the Undying Lands, having heard that one of his people was in chains and, in fact, a very notorious outlaw. Um, he goes to see her and she tells him, hey, you know, whatever your issue with me is, whatever the, you know, our people's issue with me is, like it, it fails in comparison. Magic has just been released into the world. I know you felt it. I know how this happened. Um, you know, and, and you, we, we can't we got to do something about this. And Legolas is like, yeah, you're an outlaw and I hate you, but. 
I'll think about what you said. And then he goes off with Gimli to the Undying Lands. So we get kind of a nice little, you know, season two, season premiere bump up of having one of the original characters. Um, Smart. But so you're thinking like a producer. You got to have one <laughs> of the originals in there. But then they'd be like, oh, but he's leaving. I don't know if I want to watch anymore. But <laughs> so I'll well, ideally watching. we've. Yeah, ideally we've sold you on these characters in the first season, right? And mm-hmm. on top of that, so season two is about kind of, you know, finding out the backstory. So finding out why this elf is in exile, finding out the, the fact that I just told you about the night, that sort of thing. Uh, and then finding out about Dana. Now, Dana, we come to learn, is not actually her real name. She is the seventh daughter of uh, of her father, who's Thorin Third. So Thorin Third, we come to learn, had seven daughters. And right now in uh, the Blue Mountain uh, the 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 Dwarven kingdoms things are kind of in turmoil. Um, there's kind of a lot of question about who should be who should be ruling or what even their future looks like. There's other kind of Dwarven tribes that are, are feeling that there's new rulership needed, and in a very kind of uncharacteristic uh, a thing for dwarves, Thorin tries he might cannot have a male heir. He has tried, and this you got to remember dwarves like two out of three dwarves are all male. So. Females being dwarf is uh, being born in dwarven culture is a fairly rare thing, and yet Thorin cranks out daughter after daughter after daughter after daughter after daughter after daughter. So finally, on his seventh daughter, he makes a decision that he's going to do his best to pass her off as a man. So she, so he names her, uh, he names her Durin the seventh as his seventh child, and also a prophesized person who's supposed to be kind of this rallying point for all the dwarves. He feels like this is a good decision because he's trying to rally all of his people together. And there may be even some question as to whether or not this may or may not have happened in the past with other Dwarven rulers. Obviously, Dwarven women have been passed off as males before uh, with their beards and that sort of thing. So it's very possible that perhaps one of the kings in the past was actually a female in disguise that the family used to kind of carry on the lineage. So he's not doing something that's totally unheard of, but definitely something that would be seen as unpopular if found out. And of course, he is found out. Because Dana does not want to be a man, she's she's a woman, so she she doesn't want to. She she gets frustrated constantly trying to you know be pushed into this role that she never chose and never wanted to be, and by exposing it uh, to her people, her father is is you know cast out of his throne in in shame, and you know she's you know her her family her her sisters have to kind of go on the run, uh, and then she basically goes into exile, and people kind of call her the false Jiren. Like she, she gets kind of mocked by her people and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, I mean, you got to think about this from, from, from Dwarven lore, the lineage of Jiren and kind of the prophecy of Jiren the seventh is huge. That's like the second coming of Christ. And so like mm-hmm. her being put in that way is kind of almost like an antichrist type way. So now she's kind of off on her own. It's also one of the reasons why she doesn't have a beard. She's very kind of like, you know, uh, women in her culture have been very much kind of put behind. In fact, if you go throughout a lot of, dwarven history there's only like one dwarven female that's ever mentioned in all of this like lineage of warriors and kings and everything else and while they're not put upon in their in their culture obviously dwarven women are are very hardy they're warriors in, in their own right they're not really given much place of prominence and they are dressed and treated like men so she's kind of rebellious from that nature the fact that she doesn't have a have facial hair the fact that she does have a little bit more of a feminine physique that she's not trying to cover up uh, is kind of part of uh, part of who she is, but her vision brings her to Moria, where she finds the tomb. Uh, she finds the tomb of Durin, uh, the first, and there she breaks another ring to basically bring his spirit back into the world to kind of commune with her 
and kind of tell her that, yes, she is Jiren the seventh and she will be Jiren the last that will restore Moria to Chasm Doom and bring the Dwarven people together. And that's going to lead us to the third season, which is where basically she does that. So anyway, that's 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 a lot of stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow, that is so jam packed. That is something. It feels like it belongs on television. If that makes yes. sense, you know, like it's 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 laid out in a way. It's designed for that format. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like just a straight adaptation of texts or even just like lines on a page that. You know, in a history book that you've turned into a story, you've really delved into and crafted into the lore, but then crafted something brand new out of it. Stuff that maybe almost like feels like dangling plot threads in a way, things that never got resolved by Tolkien before he died. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It it feels very much like it. It, it like uh, Tim said, like it is its own thing, but that it fits squarely within what's been established already. Um, I mean, I I really want to watch this. <laughs> it sounds like something that would be amazing. I loved um, the almost like Avatar: The Last Airbender type vibe from the Durin bit at the end. I like really I, want I, to see I, that. I'm only two episodes into the second season of Avatar: The Last Airbender, so no spoilers, please. Oh, I don't know no. what you're talking about. I'm I'm actually dead serious. My fiance <laughs> is making me watch it, and so I. You say making like it's not fantastic. No, it's enjoy great. It. It's great. <laughs> I am enjoying it. I'm not saying that it's not it's not a chore, but I like it's starting because she loves it and wanted me to see it. So I'm like, so don't spoil anything. Use another. Analogy. I'll say no. Okay, it's um. I'll say no more about that. Um, but just we're gonna have to talk about that once you watch more of it. Okay, <laughs> but um, but uh, it has that sort of almost like the original mystical ideas of like the force kind of idea force ghosty kind of vibe um and i like it and i would like to see more of it yeah yeah well i mean that's the great thing is you know because i i did i i thought if if it's going to be in the future there has to be you can't just go crazy wild with it. It needs to be like like held down by what was laid in the groundwork from mm-hmm. Tolkien himself, and and what we know of the Fourth Age, which isn't a lot. You know, there's 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 little threads that are out there, and there's little stories that are out there, but the one that really resonated with me is this concept of during the last and the prophecy of during the last. And I was like, man, what, how cool would that be? Like, how could how could something like that be done? But done so in kind of a, a, a different way that, that kind of keeps you, you know, if you just, if you start off with like, here's a dwarf and his name is Jiren, then you kind of know where the story's going. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you kind of pull a little bit of a twist and, and you kind of take the time to get to know these characters before you really know what their, you know, what, what their grand uh, future is. Like, like, what if we spent more time, like, like your pitch uh, last, last week, uh, or I'm sorry, not last week, last, I don't know what I'm talking about, last week, last month, uh, Tim. With uh, with Aragorn, like, what if we had spent more time with him as Strider before we before mm-hmm. we knew who he really was? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in, in Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, it becomes very clear what his destiny is early on. And so, what I wanted to do is basically make her the Aragorn of the Dwarves. Like that's essentially what Durin the, the last should be. And so, we see an exile. We see somebody who is kind of removed from her people uh, coming into her own. But she goes on this kind of discovery, and we're with her through that journey. Um, also, I got to make mention of this, too, because, you know, I thought there could be a lot of different um, villains that you can kind of pull in. You know, I mentioned that perhaps we might get 
uh, some elves coming back over to try to stop her, uh, which would kind of tie into um, the the elvish rogue, her backstory. I also thought the uh, this idea of kind of a cult of necromancers, and these are people that obviously uh, worshipped uh, specifically Sauron, that you know have been trying to perform necromancy, but because no magic is in the world, they've been completely unsuccessful for the last you know hundred years. Uh, but they, that doesn't stop them from killing things and stitching them up Frankenstein style, never having, you know, anything ever done. And maybe in the first season we learned that, you know, somewhere at their kind of headquarters, they're constantly performing this ritual over over various dead bodies with the hopes that they'll successfully resurrect one. And so that at the end of the first season when she breaks the ring and we see the good things happening, we also kind of leave off with that wave of power hitting the necromancers. And for the first time ever, they actually successfully raise a body. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they now are a completely new threat. They were already a threat because they're going around killing people. But now that, you know, perhaps they're, they now have access to magics that, uh, you know, their, their faith has been restored in a very dangerous way from that standpoint. I also like very much that this gives um, a similar sort of vibe, but again, in a very different sort of way um, to a lot of the background stuff going on in um uh, Game of Thrones, both in the in the books and in the yeah. TV show, where you've got this return of magic to the world. Though this is obviously in a much more uh, Tolkien kind of vein, but that I love that idea of um, seeing, especially since this would be in the Fourth Age, we have the material from before it, so we see the world with this sort of magic. We see the elves, we see all of this sort of thing. Um, the power of the wizards and all that, um, and seeing it fade and then start to come back is, I think, a real fascinating twist on it. Because usually in stories like in Game of Thrones, you have a world where it there is no magic and hasn't existed for a while, and having it come back, it's a really interesting sort of twist on it um, to get to see both sides of it. Um, and it's definitely a type of story that's really that can be told really, really well. And um, there's a lot of, you know, variety. I mean, you get the way that Game of Thrones took it. You get the sort of way that Star Wars has been taking it with the idea that uh, after the fall of the Republic and the fall of the Jedi, the idea that, all right, well, this is all just passed from the world. There's no more of it. And then it starts to come back. Mm. Um, so you, you get that sort of trope, which I think is... Um, a good direction to take the Lord of the Rings. Um, I think it would be a really fascinating way to look at Middle Earth um, to get to see how they deal with being the age of men, with the dying of magic, and then how they respond, as you said in your you know subsequent season of it coming back. And you know there could be so many directions you could take that. Nice. Yeah. All right. And this is my just my last point on uh, on all of it. Uh, the third season with with kind of the retaking of Kaz and Doom, the idea is that the, um, the, you know, the characters of all kind of the band has gotten back together from the first season. And um, also Dana, or, or I guess at this point, Duran, uh, her her sisters, um, her, her six sisters have all kind of come towards her. And because of, you know, the. The Dwarven people are starting to recognize that the prophecy is being fulfilled, uh, and they, they can't deny it, even though a lot of them don't like it. Uh, and so they, they are prepared to come to her aid. But rather than do kind of this massive epic battle sequence, my thought was to actually go a little bit more of a different route with it. Um, the idea is perhaps that you know Moria is a haven of um, you know basically all of Sauron's armies and everybody that that. 
uh, you know, the, where, where they kind of ended up when it was all said and done. You know, the Balrog is obviously dead, but there's still statues from when he ruled. And you might have, you know, the necromancers might be like setting up kind of a new church there or something of that nature. But the idea is that they kind of sneak in and cause a rebellion from within. Um, so perhaps we might even see teaming up with goblins. We might even see, you know, uh, some defecting orcs or something of that nature. Like I wanted to kind of do a little bit of a twist as opposed to here's mm. just a big battle where we're all smashing up against each <laughs> other. Like like here's here's kind of some political intrigue. And here's, you know, this, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know. Resurgence, not resurgence. Um, what do you call it? Um, insurgence. Here's this insurgence is going on from within, uh, so that they do kind of have this this battle that kind of takes out the power and establishment. The dwarves come in, and Dana then sits on the uh, the carven th- throne as people are singing uh, the song, the prophecy of Durin. And uh, and I wanted to kind of have her also in season two, kind of walk the path of Durin as well. And so seeing specifically, you know, the, the crown of stars and the reflection of, of the lake and, and all that kind of thing, like have her go on that route mm. as it becomes slowly revealed over time who she really is. But anyway, all right, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm completely done. That's my pitch. <laughs> I also do love that you have a dwarf as the central character. Um I feel like it's too easy to have, um, you know, people or elves as the, you know, man or elves as the central character or hobbits um, and get to see a different perspective, especially in the fourth age, which is supposed to be, you know, pretty much centered on humans. humans. Um, And so so to see it from that different perspective, I think would be fascinating um, and would, you know, open it up to be a little bit more interesting. And um, as, as you said, with your ideas for how they would deal with um, Moria, with uh, Casa Doom, would be a lot less of the somewhat typical Lord of the Rings, clear-cut, black and white, they're good, they're bad. Um, you know, the, it, it, without disrupting the feel of a Lord of the Rings um, allows for a little bit more nuance in the story. And I think that's mm-hmm. really interesting, a good uh, direction. And I also, I just really like the idea of a lot of morally gray characters in the fourth yeah. age because ages one, two, and three are so cut and dry. These people are good. These people are bad. Even if this person is bad for a little while, they're actually a good person, you know, <laughs> like things like that. Um, and so what you have done is, is given us modern fantasy within within middle earth which is which is something we have not seen before but something modern audiences might be expecting to see so because because you've got you know your game of thrones crowd so i think you've you've done a a bang up job here love it thank you thank you it's a lot of fun i'm so glad to finally Mm -hmm. have it out of my head because it's been up there for way too long (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, I can. I can. We've been talking about these pitches for just about a year now, so I can't believe that's been sitting up there for that long. So good on you. But uh, since we're out of time, I'd say, does anybody have any other party business? Can I admit to you? No, no party business. No, excellent. All right. Well, then we're going to wrap up. You can find us on Twitter at Tolkien TV Talk, and you can find us. Uh, on the Gmails at Tolkien TV Talk, if you want to send us a nice little email. Bo, where can the people find you? 
You can find me at the Real Bo York on Twitter. That's at the Real Bo York. My name is B E A U. That is how you spell it. At the Real Bo York on Twitter. Also, podastery.com, P O D A S T E R Y dot com for various podcasts that I have some work on to some extent. So check that out. <laughs> Andrew, and how about yourself? Um, I'm on our Tolkien TV Talk Discord server. Um, you can just search that on Discord and you should be able to find us. Um, and then I'm on Twitter at Mithrandir Risen. Fantastic. You can find myself on Twitter at TimothyPG13, and you can also find other Thought Bubble Audio Network shows at ThoughtBubbleAudio.com. Well, thank you both, gentlemen, very much. It was a pleasure to talk to you, as always. Pleasure to talk to you as well, and happy holidays to you both. Yes, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. And so, until I say, until next time... The world was young, the mountains green, no stain yet on the moon was seen. No words were laid on stream or stone when Durin woke and walked alone. He named the nameless hills. And tells he drank from yet untasted wells. He stooped and looked in mirror, mirror and saw a crown of stars appear as gems upon a silver thread above the shadows of his head. The world was fair, the mountains tall, in elder days before the fall. Of mighty kings in Argothrond and Oh, no.
Sötti.